Hi, welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 14. I'm George. And I'm Jim. And I'm Tommy. And we've got our friend from down under back again, too. G'day. I'm Peter. It's been a busy month, y'all. Indeed. Indeed it has. We've had uh, several things happen since the last episode was filmed, and most notably among them was Field Day here in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Boy, did I have so much fun. I did, too. And... And we both brought you back some, uh, what we think is some good footage. George, uh, what's Field yeah. Day all about? Field Day. Well, ah. let's just get right into it and have a look at uh, this first segment here. We're out at the Old Trace Park at the Ross Barnett Reservoir in Jackson, Mississippi. I tried to get on Channel 3 There's a reservoir right out there. This is... This is the same park where we do most of our shooting, uh, like for the Cantina episode. I think maybe we did something else out here one time, I don't remember. But uh, as we look around here, this is mostly amateur radio operators. There's a bus back there in the background with some kind of antenna stuck up on top of it. I think they said that was Rankin County's EOC bus. Rankin County EOC, okay. Well, that's, that's right near here. We'll walk down and have a closer look at some of this stuff, but I like that boom truck there. And then as we go up on the hill here, uh, there's some kind of vertical right there. I want, is that a butternut? Is that what they call it? A gap antenna. Gap vertical. Covers all bands. Of course, this thing is uh, put on by the Jackson Amateur Radio Club. Uh, they have several tents up there on the hill, and also in the background, I can see a crank-up tower through the woods. And we'll go up there and have a look at that too. It doesn't look to be very tall though, so I don't, I don't think they have it cranked out yet. You remember our buddy Wayne from I don't remember which episode it was, but we'll flash it on the screen. Episode three. Episode three. Episode Hello. three. The Hamfest. He's going to be narrating some with us today. Now that's a neat looking uh, antenna right there. I wonder who's driving that thing with the upside down radials in the middle. I would call it top hat, but it's in the middle of the antenna. Uh, well, actually it's K5VU. <laughs> oh, can you read it? Yeah, real good. <laughs> Oops, who's that right beside him? Well, that's KG5RE and the porcupine. <laughs> We're talking with Bob Bullock here, K5RWB. He's the public information officer for the Mississippi section of the ARRL. And Bob, uh, you know, our, a lot of our viewers aren't amateur radio operators, and they really don't know what field day is about. Could you tell us for a minute, just, uh, you know, sum it up for them? Field day is usually held the last full weekend of June, and it's a way to get out, uh, for the hams to get out on a remote location to mm -hmm. test out their equipment. Of course, we, uh, during the course of a year, Katrina and, and elsewhere, we have uh, have a lot of experience with, with yep. disasters. Yes, but we have. this is a chance that we, it has to be all emergency power. No commercial power mm -hmm. is allowed. And it gets us out, it gets us to test our equipment, make sure it's in working order, and kind of gives us a, a kind of a threefold. We, it gives us a chance to test our equipment make sure that everything is working all right, and it also gives us a chance to communicate with all over the world, and uh, including Alaska. Uh, mostly, Ham Day is, is mostly in the United States, yeah. Alaska, and foreign. But um, 
we still it gives us a chance to talk to other uh, uh, cities, other uh, counties and states, and get kind of get an idea of our communications ability uh, to communicate. And, uh, and you know, like Katrina, for example, um, our conditions are not always suitable for transmission on radio. Exactly. Because yeah. we use lines. I mean, mm -hmm. that's one of the abilities of ham radio. We're able to, to, when commercial power goes down or when towers go down, like during Katrina, we're able to go out, uh, throw a, a wire across the trees, hook up our equipment and get on the air and be able to communicate. And of course, uh, during Katrina, we had problems where we could not communicate directly with the Gulf Coast. Exactly. But we could go from from like Jackson to Arkansas and they could communicate with the Gulf Coast. So it's a network of people and of course thousands and thousands of hams came in from all over the country bringing their remote equipment, mm -hmm. bringing all their other uh, trailers, um, everything to help us out during the time of emergency. And I, I'd have to say amateur, really, uh, amateur radio really stepped up to the challenge here in Mississippi. When nothing else worked, well, it came that, through. that's true. Uh, that was we were the only source of information uh, for Katrina for a number of hours and days after it hit because it knocked all the commercial power out. Uh, all the antennas were blown down along the coast, and there was ham radio operators who were able to get communications back on the number of foods needed, the people that were in shelters, and that's another thing that we do other than communicate. Uh, directly with other countries and other cities and stuff like that during a disaster, we go and put our people in the uh, shelters mm -hmm. to communicate from the shelter to the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, or whatever. I notice, you know, there's at least one, two, three, three, four, five. I don't know how many setups you got out here. Why, why are all these guys sitting out here? Are they competing against each other? Are they all doing the same thing? or? They're all commuting on di uh, different frequencies, uh, okay. and they're communicating with uh, hams all over the country. Uh, and it's it's logging in. Uh, they call, they give their call sign, and and they talk to say Texas. And Texas will have three or four, depending on how many stations they have up. And they say that they copy, and we copy them, and we log mm -hmm. it. And uh, it's. It's kind of a challenge because you're competing against everybody else to a certain in a fun manner. I mean, you're, yeah. people people say, "Oh, you're you're trying to get so many points." Well, yes, we're trying to get points, but uh, we're also able to to it's goodwill between everybody, yeah. you know. And uh, we send in our report to the National Association. They grade us and say, "All right, uh, you had so many contacts," and it's a friendly challenge, really. Yeah. Well, we're talking with Bill White, K5BLL. He's one of the official emergency stations in the ARRL in Mississippi. Did I say that right? That's correct. Uh huh. In the Aries organization. Aries organization. Uh -huh. Right. What does Aries stand for? Amateur Radio Emergency Service. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. What? So y'all help out in all types of emergencies, don't you? Right. All types of disasters. Right. So uh, what are you doing here at the? Uh, at Field Day. At Field Day, I'm in charge of the GOTA station. G O T A. That's get on the air. Okay. And it's primarily designed for people who are unlicensed or have been away from ham radio for a while uh -huh. that want to get back on the air or new new folks that want to get on the air for the first time. That's a good idea. Uh, we, 
encourage guests to come up and I'll sit with them and make a few contacts, show them how we make contacts, how we mm -hmm. log our, our contacts into the computer, and then uh, when they feel comfortable, I'll turn the mic over to them and let them make contacts. And of course, you know, as, as ham operators, we can allow people to operate our stations under our direct supervision. We call that third-party traffic, I guess? Is sort of, or, yeah, yeah, that or a control operator. Control, that's yeah, right, control we're operator. We're a control operator, yeah. and, and it is considered third-party traffic, too. So okay. That's right. So, uh, But it's like we're just here to, to present Introduce. it to the public. Yeah, well, that's good. We need more people coming into amateur radio. I know, you know, with the license changes all recently, we've we had a few people come in, but really we're still losing members every year, aren't we? That's right. Yeah, they keep talking about the, the graying of amateur well, radio. You know, you know, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> me too. So. Yeah, so I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. So we need some of these young folks in here. Yeah. It, we've, uh, we know a few That's that are right. coming in and I'm really glad to have them. Right. So, and, uh, and of course, during disasters, you know, we, that's when we really, uh, our, our service is really uh, brought to the forefront. That's about the only time people hear about us. <laughs> Uh -huh. That and if they hear about activities like this, field day. That's right. This this brings us out in the public eye again and exactly. gets us a little more exposure. Mm -hmm. Is this your antenna right here that we're looking at? That's Are right. You operating off this one? What is that? It's a Gap. Gap uh, antenna company makes it down in Florida. Uh -huh. And that particular model is called a Titan DX. T I T A N, Titan DX. It works all the HF bands, 80 through 10, and actually six meters too. Wow. Um, it's, uh, all those rods on it are for different bands. Uh, yeah. Those are called tuner rods. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, uh, it, it'll only work a certain portion of 80 meters, since 80 yeah. meters is relatively wide. Yeah. Uh, so you, there's a capacitor in the top of it that uh, you can change to, to get the get other part the of the band part of the band, yeah, yeah. The CW part or the phone part or whatever. So if you had an emergency and you had to get on quick, how, how fast could you set that up and be transmitting? We set it up probably in about an hour. That's covering a lot of bands at once, so mm -hmm. an hour is not bad. If you had to set up separate antennas for all those bands, that would take you quite a while. Right. Well, I appreciate you talking with us, Bill. Sure. Well, George, it looks like you were having a lot of fun out there. Well, I didn't actually work at that event, you know. Um, I, I did my field day before I went out there, and no, I didn't make a whole lot. I had planned, you know, just to set up the little uh, operation here at the house and uh, shoot that footage and then uh, pack it up real quick and head out so that I could uh, do some uh, taping out there at the Jackson Amateur Radio Club's field day. They were doing quite a, a bit of uh, QSOing out there, though, and I don't know how many contacts they made, but I understand they did have a good field day. Boy, I, I uh, enjoyed seeing your footage of that, George. I hated that I was not able myself to get out there this year. I did have a lot of fun uh, setting up uh, my single standalone field day set, which we'll get to, I'm sure. And uh, uh, But boy, they, they had a lot of nice equipment out there. They did, and they had a lot of nice guys operating it, too. And Jim... You know, at first, I, you know, I was a little bit upset with you not coming out to help me, uh, you know, tape that. But fortunately, Wayne showed up and assisted in that, and he did a lot of the uh, camera work out there. And after I uh, got a sneak preview of your field day footage here, I can understand now why you didn't come. And uh, 
Everybody else will a little later in the show. <laughs> yes, yes, they will. Yeah, Wayne's our good buddy, and uh, eventually one of these days we're going to talk him into doing a whole segment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tommy, uh, did you see that huge tower they had? Oh, yeah, man, that was pretty impressive. Pretty, pretty good portable tower set up. It really <laughs> is. Did you realize that they uh, had a uh, shot in uh, this past month's QST? They had a spread on the Jackson Amateur Radio Club and Field Day and had a picture of that very tower in there. Wow, did no, not know I did that. Not. No, I didn't either. I'll have to check that out. Now, are you talking about the tower or are you talking about the, uh, the man lift thing that they had the beam on? No, it was the actual tower. Okay. Oh, well, I was talking about the cherry picker. That's what impressed me when I drove up. The first thing I saw was that cherry picker, and then I knew I was in for some good stuff. Yeah. Peter, do they have anything similar in uh, the land down under? Well, Jimmy, to be perfectly honest, uh, until I saw that segment, I'd never actually heard of Field Day. But I went and did a little bit of research on the Internet, and I found out that in, in every March uh, in Australia, we actually have a field day called the John Moyle Field Day. So do you plan to uh, participate in the next event? Oh. Would oh, you like I, I to see know. some I, footage? I, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Next March I'll organise a portable setup and I'll head out to some scenic location and try and contact a few people. And I'll bring along a camera as well to show you what happens. Okay. Sounds good. Well... Uh, let's get to a couple of emails here from some of our viewers. And this first one, um, there's not a lot I can say about it. Our friend Dwight just sent me this link. He, all the subject said was check this out. And guys, all I got to say is, uh, be thankful you've got the job you've got. <laughs> I would not want this one. Uh, just go check out this link. You'll see what I'm talking about. Ah, hey, George, I got a good email for you. Oh, you do? It's Tommy's turn next, but what did you have? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead, Jim. Well, it's, uh, it's one you're mentioned in, George, and it says, uh, Thank you for another great Amateur Logic TV episode. I do wish to counter George's statement that he didn't think Amateur Logic TV had a lot of entertainment value. Yeah. He must have forgotten about your segment on Parts Recovery 101. Whoa, okay. Shame on George, seven three, K Hartman. I'm busted, <laughs> and oh. and I think uh, you know if you watch all of today's episode, you'll find a little more entertainment in here. Uh, very true, very true. Okay, Tommy, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in front of you. Go ahead. Okay, this one's from Tim. It says, I think we all went to school together in two different places. Ha ha. <laughs> That's pretty funny, Tim. Anyway, it's kind of long. I'll kind of paraphrase this a little bit. He says he's 46, and uh, as a teen, he worked at two radio stations, KXEO uh, 1340 and KWWR 95.7 in Mexico, Missouri. That that uh, KXEO sound familiar to you, Jim? Yeah, it does. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> well, you know, you and I used to work at a 1340 AM station. We probably saw those call letters on a list of other stations on a map, maybe. Oh, is that a 1340? Yep. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I knew it sounded yeah. familiar for some reason. Wow, Mexico, Missouri. Tommy, that's up there pretty close to you. Yeah, it's a neighbor. <laughs> anyway, he studied photography at Explorer Post 64 for about two and a half years. Um, during high school, 78, 79, 80, he studied electronics and Votech. Um, cool. 
Yeah, says uh, he's uh, been involved for 12 years as a scoutmaster for a couple of troops, and uh, not long ago he became a ham. KC0ZSR. Anyways, on board. Yeah. He says, I've been watching your Amateur Logic TV. I saw number 13. I liked it so much I had to watch the rest, 1 through 12, in all in two days. Wow. That is a large dose of AmateurLogic.tv. <laughs> hey, that's what you call an Amateur Logic TV marathon. And obviously, he lived to tell about the experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> says he's thinking about doing some videos as a teaching tool. When I get these done, I'd love to see you air them. How long should they be? Keep the shows coming. They're great. Tim. Well, Tim, if you'll notice, most of our uh, segments are 10 minutes or less. So yeah, 10 minutes or less. That'd be great. Send it to us. Let's get back to some more field day activities. You know, I wanted to do something a little bit unusual. So uh, <laughs> here you go. It's June the 23rd, 2007, and that means field day to us amateur radio operators. I'm sitting here on my ride and mower, uh, which has a 12-volt battery starter on it, and an alternator or generator of some type to keep the battery charged. So I'm thinking I have an amateur rig that will operate off 12 volts. Why couldn't I just operate it off the uh, lawnmower here and use it as an emergency generator? I actually have a generator, but, you know, what fun would that be? So, uh, first order business is to make sure that this is safe. As you can see, we've connected our test leads to the battery, and that runs on up to our meter where we'll check the voltage, and we see right now uh, static voltage is 12.8 volts with the lawnmower uh, sitting here not cranked. Okay, at the lowest idle speed, we're showing 12.74 volts, so I don't think that would be a problem. I think we could operate off. Let's run the engine on up a little faster. Uh, it's headed towards 16 volts. Now that might be a little bit high to uh, go operate in a radio phone. I just happen to have a 50 watt 12 volt light bulb here that should make a good uh, load for our test condition here. We can already see that the battery voltage is beginning to drop off a little bit. So that's as fast as I would dare run a lawnmower for any extended period of time. And that's holding in pretty good with a 50 watt load. So there's a chance this might work. One more thing I did want to check is just the AC voltage across the battery when it's being charged. Uh, that would be an indication of ripple or some type of noise there. So uh, right now we see that we've got 0 0.2, 0 0.1 millivolts. So that should be should be safe. My, um, my outback antenna is not going to do it mounted over here on the chain link fence. It's just not tall enough and it's too near the shack picking up too much computer and, and network noise and all. I also had a problem with the power. Um, I tried running an orange extension cord, just an old, uh, I don't even know what gauge thing is. Too much battery voltage drop. I thought maybe I could get by if I only ran a few watts, but no. Nah, that wouldn't even work. So I ended up having to rely on a set of jumper cables. And with that, I've got enough battery voltage to get the rig keyed. Roger. Yeah, that extension cord wire is probably way too thin for that. You never get much power through it anyways. It is hot in Mississippi today. It's about 93 degrees right now. If you can even 
hear what I'm saying over the lawnmower. It's kind of loud, but I'm, I'm charging the batteries. It looks like we're up to, oh, I don't know, about 12 and a half volts now, so I'll shut it off for a minute. See if time is back. Yeah, N5ZNO, this is W5JDX coming in loud and clear here. You're my first contact for field day. I am operating a lawnmower portable. This is a feed point of my homemade 40 meter dipole. It's an insulator up there and a homemade uh, SO239 connector that I could screw my PL259 and coax into. It's, uh, I don't remember how long this thing is. 30 some odd feet on either side of the insulator. Goes on out and it's suspended into trees uh, at either end. And there's ropes that come down out of the tree and uh, go down to the ground so I can easily lower this thing and uh, work on it when I need to. This is Whiskey 5 Japan Delta X-Ray. Roger, uh, please copy to Echo, Mississippi. To Echo, Mississippi. To Echo, Mississippi. Thank you and good luck. Uh, seven three. That was an official contact. The two means that I've got two transmitters, which this is one of them right here. Uh, the other one is this handheld that I've been using to communicate with Jimmy and Tommy with throughout the day. And the E means that I'm running on emergency power, which is what the lawnmower would be considered. Um, if it's just sitting there like it is right now, it's actually, I guess, technically battery power. But when I crank it, it's a generator, I would assume. So that makes it emergency power. And the MS means that I'm in Mississippi. You're uh, 5 and 9 in Jackson, Mississippi. Thank you. I'm using a riding lawnmower as a power source. <laughs> uh, get that again? I said I'm using a riding lawnmower as a power source for my station. That's novel. Sounds good. Okay, 7-3. Have a good contest. Here's a look at the gear that I'm using. I've actually got a dummy load right there I was using earlier just to test with to make sure that the lawnmower would uh, stand up to the voltage drop. Uh, there's a rig I'm using, it's a Kenwood TS430S. Above it's a uh, watt meter and uh, SWR meter so I can check my reflected power. Above that's an auto tuner. I only used it when I wanted to go to 10 meters. I have two antennas I'm using, 40 meter dipole and an 80 meter loop, both made out of wire. Uh, but uh, I'm going to make a 10 meter contact with Jim and that's why I need that unit sitting on top there. That tuner will actually go in and uh, electrically change the length of the antenna so that it matches the radio. Also, uh, one necessary thing when you're operating like this, there's a voltmeter. Can't read it from this angle, but it's uh, I think 12.38 volts currently. Well, it's been an enjoyable field day here, and I've uh, had fun operating this old rig <laughs> off a lawnmower. Uh, a lot of fun. Didn't run across anybody else doing it, but 
very likely could be someone else there. Oh man, talk about your alternative power source. Yeah, I never really thought much <laughs> about using the rod and lawnmower battery for that, but you know, pretty much everyone's got that. It's a great idea. You know, that's the most fun I ever had with that lawnmower. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> George, it would be an interesting exercise to put the waveform coming out of your lawnmower up on a crow sometime and see what's coming out of it. Well, you know, actually, Peter, I thought about that and uh, I almost hauled the scope out there and looked at it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I shot a lot more than I actually use. I probably had about 45 minutes worth of footage I chopped down to a little over seven minutes. So I did do a few more checks than people actually saw, but, you know, I, I showed you the best stuff. Now, now, talk about entertainment value. That segment had a lot of entertainment value, George. <laughs> well, well, no doubt. It's a unique segment. <laughs> well, Jim, I think really yours has more entertainment value than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, we'll just have a look and see. <laughs> okay. Today is field day. And if you're a radio amateur, you know what that means. Operate from things such as emergency power. In fact, as if it were an emergency situation. That's just one thing you can do on field day. And I think we can do that. It's 3.22 p.m. local time, central daylight time here in Mississippi. And I haven't done a thing yet for field day. I don't have anything set up and to follow the intent of field day I think I need to operate a portable rig on battery power with a non-installed uh, for home use or permanent structure type antenna. I think if I get started now, I can have all that set up and going and be on the air inside an hour. Ready to give it a go? Let's do it. Got the antenna. Center loaded, 300 ohm twin lead fed. I just laid down a piece of two inch PVC. This is a coupler that will couple the two inch to this one and a half inch PVC and that'll give us 20 feet. So we've decided to go with the two inch. So I'm gonna do a quick test, make sure that uh, our coupling, I'm gonna try to do it without gluing, is going to be strong enough to uh, raise our entire 20 feet. Okay, let's see how our stand is going to react to that. Okay, I'm thinking no is the answer there. <laughs> this is a five foot mast, TV mast, and if it will fit inside our stake, This is a 17-foot telescoping bird feeder pole that technically belongs to my wife. Uh, it was not set up with a bird feeder on it. It hasn't been set up yet. Not for bird feeder purposes. Aha! Shooting for 20 feet. Bird feeder pole is 17. Stood had a foot for the stakes. Uh, we're at 18. I'm going to go with that. Okay, looks like we've got our antenna height taken care of. On to the rigs. 
Okay, here's the first of our field day rigs. It is the L-Craft K1 two-bander, 20 and 40 meters. And this is my beloved set of venture paddles. Set those right here on the table and we'll go get our 10 meter rig. Here's our next piece of gear. This is the MFGA uh, balanced line tuner. <clears throat> MFJ 974HB and uh, the input is uh, twin lead in this case or ladder line. Alright, uh, we've only got a few minutes left. We need batteries, uh, power cords, something to hook the antenna to the pole, to the mast, and hook everything up and we can start operating. Let's see about affixing the antenna to the mast. Hook it in a hole at the top of the mast. Let's see how that works. Of course, anytime you're raising any kind of antenna structure, you always be acutely aware of the location of any power lines or anything else that you might touch with an antenna mast. Safety first, right? Okay, we've got an antenna hooked up, raised, and now all we got to do is tie off the ends of the dipole, make an inverted V out of it. See how well it works. Make some field day QSOs. All right. Now then. Whoop. If my mic is still working. If, uh, if you're looking for where to tie off the wires, <laughs> make sure that each step you take around the pool is actually on the ground and not over the pool. Hey, it's sounding like we're really getting some good signals off of our antenna. I'm kind of excited. Not there yet. Okay, here we are, back again. Uh, as you can see, we've got a great listening antenna. If, if, it, if the tuner can't match it, then the impedance of the antenna is so far off that the tuner can't tune it. Uh, so you've got to somehow change the impedance of the antenna. And uh, the simplest and easiest way to do that for me right here right now was cut the feed line, shorten the feed line, change the length of the feed line in other words in some, in some way. So uh, in total uh, non-scientific form I, uh, I cut out about mm, six feet of it.
and and it brought the swirls down to below two to one. I actually have about four watts out now. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. It's uh, it's about practicing. It's about figuring things out. Uh, <laughs> nighttime operations here at uh, N5SPE QTH, field day QTH. We can start making some QSOs. Maybe, if, uh, if our little five watts can be heard. Uh, it's 9 p.m. It's taking a lot longer to get going than I ever, ever would have dreamed. We're filming now. In fact, uh, you're on my segment, this conversation. Uh, they can hear you well. What, what would you like to say to the uh, ALTV fans? Good morning, and welcome to day two of field day. Hi, I got about five hours of sleep last night and I've just come out and turned on the rigs so the VXOs and the VCOs are warming up. Already hear some signals. I'm sure there have been people on all night. I only made it to about 1 a.m and then I had to have a little rest. So, are you ready to make some cues? Okay, let's get with it. Pretty close. Well, we're down to the last hour of field day. As you can see, I've switched over to 10 meter SSB phone, and we're going to make a few more cues, but for all practical purposes, other than for the cleanup, that's about it. Hope you enjoyed field day. I certainly did. We'll see you next time. Well, Jim, I, I really liked your uh, field day segment there. It was quite entertaining, to say the least. Well, thank you. I noticed you didn't title it, but it could have been, uh, if, <laughs> you would have thought it was Friday the 13th, the way stuff was falling around there. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see you did get on the air, and really, I think you put a little more effort in it than I did. It was really quite impressive setup. Oh, <laughs> I had a lot of fun. had a lot of fun. How many contacts do you, did you make? I uh, haven't counted, but uh, it was less than a notebook page. It, w it was not a huge number. Jim, if I can put a question in here, uh, what's the furthest that you were able to get with that setup? Uh, how far were you able to get? Uh, certainly, certainly just domestic contacts did not work anything out of country. 
Phil, for a portable setup with low power, I think you did pretty well. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I was surprised at some of the some of the contact. So is your is your wireless microphone still working after taking it for a swim? <laughs> <laughs> it it actually is. I'm not using it. I'm using the same microphone, but the little wireless <laughs> transmitter unit is uh, is not in use at this present moment. <laughs> but it it does cool. still work. Well, Peter, have we got any more emails over there? Yes, George. Uh, I've got an email from Steve WB6TNL. And Steve really enjoyed episode number 13, so much so that he went back and he looked at episodes 1 through 12. Uh, Steve comments that we're getting better at what we're doing. Thanks, Steve. Steve also mentioned that he enjoyed our Australian footage and also the crimper footage. And that reminds me, uh, he had a tip sent in, and I apologise for forgetting who actually provided that to us. They suggested we could actually weld the socket pieces onto the vice grips. I think that's a pretty good idea. Boy, that sounds, sounds like a good uh, project for Jim and his torch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might take a little more heat than it, just just that propane. Roll, roll the tape when you do that, Jim. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I've got one more email here. This is uh, from our friend uh, David. And he says, hi, George, I found your website from searching for info for a cantina and uh, just happened to pick up a direct TV dish at a local dump. And I really loved your active uh, design. It was a great idea. He says, I'm writing about a battery powered emergency cell phone charger I've been seeing around. I think it'd be a great idea for you guys to, uh, you know, show us a little bit on that. Well, somebody's already beat us to that, uh, David, our friend uh, Frank Lynn Harris over at uh, digitalunderground.tv has a segment on exactly what you're talking about. So you might want to go have a look at that. Here's a link. Yeah, it's a good idea. There's uh, been some changes in amateur radio licensing in Australia in uh, recent years. And, you know, personally, I think it's something that we might want to look at here in the United States. I, uh, I've been hearing a little bit about this from Peter, and it is very interesting. Peter, tell us uh, what your segment is about tonight. A couple of weeks ago, I was rung up at home by Robert Broomhead of the Wireless Institute of Australia, and uh, Robert suggested that I come film a segment with him all about the Foundation Licence. How did they know of you? Well, George, uh, a couple of Australian amateurs uh, saw episode 13 and mentioned it uh, to Robert Broomhead at the Wireless Institute. And uh, Robert had a look at it, and uh, he was quite pleased to see that there was now some Australian content on the show. So he gave me a call and said, uh, would we like to do an interview? Yeah, g'day. I'm Peter, VK3PB, and we're here today at the Eastern Mountain District's radio club rooms here in East Burwood in Melbourne, Australia. Today I thought we'd uh, have a little look at the Wireless Institute of Australia and also uh, learn a little bit more about a new class of licence uh, for amateur radio here in Australia called the Foundation Licence. And I'm joined now by Robert Broomhead, who's the director of the Wireless Institute of Australia. Welcome to Amateur Logic, Robert. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having us on the show. Well, let's start with the Wireless Institute. Uh, I understand that the Wireless Institute is the oldest radio club of it, well, oldest radio organisation in the world. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. We uh, represent the amateur radio operators here in Australia to government, and our equivalent in the United States would be the ARRL. 
Right. And uh, I understand, though, that a few years ago, the amateur radio hobby was in decline, uh, but that the Wireless Institute has managed to turn that around through a new class of licence. Would you tell us a little bit about the foundation licence and what's involved with that? Yeah, thanks, Pete. About in 2005, we had about 14,000 radio amateurs on the air. Um, but as you said, numbers were declining. There were people who were passing away and those that weren't renewing their licence. And the hobby was really, um, it was, there, there were, the numbers were dwindling, the numbers were drifting off. Uh, in 2005, uh, the ACMA, which is the Australian Communications and Media Authority, which is the regulator here in Australia, undertook a review of the amateur radio service. And amongst other things, they introduced a new class of licence called the Foundation Licence, which is a new entry-level licence. That was introduced in October 2005. And uh, since the introduction of that Foundation Licence, there have been, which is less than two years, there have been 1,700 people who have sat for licences and assessments. And we have now gone and uh, increased the number of amateur radio operators on the bands here in Australia. We're up, we're up now from about 14,000 to well over 15,000. So we're not going backwards. We're now going, growing the numbers positively by thousands here in Australia. Right, and I understand that WIA has also uh, released a booklet uh, to help people get their foundation licence. Yeah. Would you like to tell us a little, a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. The Wireless Institute of Australia worked uh, very closely with the ACMA for the introduction of the foundation licence. The Wireless Institute was responsible for producing a training manual that, uh, that uh, covers everything that's in the foundation licence syllabus. This is the uh, training manual here. It's called Your Entry into Amateur Radio. And this uh, book here, this gloss cover book, which is uh, uh, nice and easy to uh, work through. You can see it's got like uh, nice diagrams and uh, easy to read text and uh, pictures there. Uh, covers everything that's required to know uh, for the foundation, to be able to sit for your foundation licence. Everything in the exam is covered off in this book here. Right. And, uh, well, how much does it cost? The book itself, it's only 18.50 for the book, and uh, the book's available from the Wireless Institute of Australia office through the website or through radio clubs and other uh, organisations that are running their training courses. That's pretty good value. That's about $15 American. So that's, uh, that's, that's very, very good value. Welcome, Brian, to uh, Amateur Logic. Uh, Brian, how do you get a foundation licence? It could be as simple as just self-studying with the handbook. So reading two or three times through that is generally enough. Or you can come along to one of our uh, meetings and have a chat to us and organise to sit one of our courses. How long do the courses take? Generally, about six hours of study where we run through the entire book and then go home, cover off uh, what you've learned in the day and come back the next day for a, uh, an assessment, which takes about an hour and a half. What assessments do you actually have to do? Well, there's two parts to it. There's a 30-part multi-choice. So uh, covering off about 10 questions of theory, everything's covered in the book, and the rest is on safety, regulations, and uh, operating procedures. And then there's a practical component as well, which is putting together uh, a station. So all the equipment you see behind us, all the plugs are taken out, put back in by the, uh, the candidate, and uh, some questions about why you put them in in that, in that order, or, uh, or what the things you should know about. How technical is the syllabus? I mean, do you need to be an electronics expert to, to learn this stuff? No, definitely not. We've found that uh, most um, new amateurs that have come through the foundation course uh, aren't very technical at all, well, in their day-to-day -day life anyway. They have an interest in, in uh, the hobby, in the technical side, but uh, generally more interested in being active. 
Well, that raises a good question. Who, who has been getting these licences? What backgrounds? What ages? Who are these new uh, foundation licensees? I think the youngest in uh, the country so far is a nine-year-old girl, and the oldest that we've had through our club is a 72-year-old man who's retired and was looking for something to do. And uh, it's not just for the boys, is it? No, definitely not. We've, uh, we've had a lot of uh, younger ladies come through, and uh, also wives of our members are coming through to the club as well and getting, getting involved with the, the hobby that uh, takes up most of their husband's time. As I said earlier, you're president of the Eastern Mountain Districts Radio Club. Can you talk a little bit about the effect that these new foundation licensees have had upon the club? Well, we are the largest uh, club in the state and the second largest in the country. So we're in a different position to most other clubs where we were financially stable, but we found that our membership was going up and down around the same number each year. Uh, when the foundation license came in, we saw a little bit of a surge and a lot of new people coming in and becoming a lot more active and a lot more new enthusiasm, which was uh, great to see in the club. Uh, welcome to Amateur Logic, Joe. Thank you for having me on the program. Well, let's start with your call sign, Joe. What call, what's your call sign? It's VK3FJBC. You know, there's four letters there and it starts with F. And uh, how did you come or why did you, you, did you become a foundation licensee? Well, it's, it's uh, an area that I've been interested in for uh, more than 20 years now, ever since I was in school, but I never had the opportunity. And the new uh, rules, and if you like, uh, made it a bit easier for someone like me who's not uh, very technically minded to get on uh, uh, onto this hobby and, uh, and uh, do uh, wonderful things with it. Uh, How long have you held that license for? Less than, less than a year. Okay. Did you find the course hard to do? Uh, not at all. I found it uh, easy, uh, but uh, you do have to study a bit. Uh, so it's not uh, it's not like it's too easy, but uh, yeah, I do, did have to study for it, and it was it was good. It was a challenging course. What what bands do you generally work? Well, as an as an amateur with the foundation license, I'm allowed to work on uh, many bands: uh, 80 meters, uh, 20 meters, sorry, 80 meters, 40 meters, 15, 10, 2, and 70. Uh, primarily, uh, you find me on on the local repeaters on 2 and 70. Uh, I occasionally get on to 40 and 80 as well. In fact, uh, I've uh, just had uh, my first award uh, for uh, working the 80-meter band with uh, a, Shepparton, uh, a club in Shepparton and um, get on to 40 meters as well. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, the highlight of uh, a 40-meter contact uh, last week was uh, um, a contact with uh, the writer of uh, this book, uh, made, and he lives uh, in Sydney. So that was uh, something interesting. Since becoming a foundation licensee, uh, how has this affected you? Uh, in two broad ways, and uh, uh, firstly it's increased my social circle uh, in terms of uh, people of similar interests. Secondly, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's allowed me to do something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and that is uh, work with uh, not just get the license, but after getting the license, uh, promote the hobby at a at a level um, which is dear to my heart and which is at, at the school level because a lot of, uh, I mean I learned about the hobby many years ago when I was in school and if I hadn't then I wouldn't have known what I know today uh, and so I want to promote the hobby at the school level and I'm actually involved currently uh, doing a, a presentation to schools uh, mm -hmm. taking the hobby out to the young, uh, young ones out there so that they can learn about uh, it uh, besides what they already know yeah, now you've not only gotten your license, but you've actually become involved with the EMDRC in a 
in some capacity, is that correct? That's correct. I mean, I was, uh, after I got my license, I became a member of the EMDRC, and uh, uh, only recently, about a month or two ago, I, I uh, got onto the committee. So I'm now a committee member of the EMDRC, and I, I believe uh, I'm the first uh, foundation licensee uh, on the committee. We. Right. Well, look, thanks so much for joining us today, Joe. Thank you for having me on the program. Peter, I really like the idea of the foundation class license. You know, that's uh, something I think we could use here in America. Fifteen years ago, we had something called the technician class license. Uh, well, actually, the, the technician class license was already around here in the United States, but they dropped their code requirement from it. And that's when uh, Jim and Tommy and myself became licensed. We were among the first group of um, amateurs to come in without having to pass a code test in the United States. And a lot of amateurs got licensed back then. Uh, today, you know, we've uh, just dropped uh, the code requirement from all licensing in the United States. And we've had a lot of upgrades. A lot of uh, existing uh, technicians uh, and other classes have upgraded in uh, the recent uh, months here. But we're still not seeing new people come into the hobby. And the foundation class uh, that you're promoting here seems like might be something good for America. We really need more amateurs. Yes, yes. We are graying as a community. I agree, George, and uh, I'm, I can't say I've seen any downsides since the introduction of the new class of license. The, the F calls that I've heard on the air are all polite. Um, not technically knowledgeable, but uh, they're keen to learn, and uh, I think that's a great thing. They sort of uh, re-energize the hobby a great deal here in Australia. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to uh, go look at the Wireless Institute's website and uh, follow the links and read a little bit about the Foundation Class License. Uh, you're actually giving these guys a, a little bit of HF privileges, aren't you, Peter? Sure, it's actually pretty generous in terms of operating privileges. Uh, it provides 10 watts on the 80 metre, 40 metre, 15 metre, 10 metre, 2 metre and 70 centimetre bands. Do they get the whole band or just a small portion of each? Well, George, they actually get get full access to each of those bands. Uh, 10, 10 watts might not sound like a, a lot of power, but it'll get you around the world if the conditions are right. Uh, I think it's a, a great way to, uh, to get an introduction into amateur radio. George was encouraging uh, people to go look at the website, and I do as well, and listen to the podcast. It's uh, The WIA's podcast is very well produced, and uh, it's fascinating to me. I think uh, the ARRL should duplicate that as well. Well, it's funny you should mention the uh, Wireless Institute broadcast because uh, that's another thing that's changed here in Australia in recent years. A few years ago, the Wireless Institute's broadcast was pretty old-fashioned, pretty dry material, not a great deal of effort was put into presentation. But uh, quite recently, the, uh, the Wireless Institute has put a lot of effort into making that broadcast a lot more professional. Uh, they're using professional equipment, and they've significantly improved the, uh, the content and the presentation. I'm just, now, I'm just now beginning to put my finger on exactly what it is about the WIA's podcast and broadcast that the thing is, it really reminds me of radio, George, just like professional broadcast radio like we used to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they do a very good job of it. The only thing I know even remotely similar to it in the United States would be This Week in Amateur Radio. 
Uh, fine at, show. Yes, uh, TWIAR.org. It's one that we probably haven't mentioned much, but uh, I would suggest amateur radio operators go check that one out. And there's another, of course, uh, good amateur radio podcast out there, Solder Smoke, and they're in hiatus right now. And uh, Jim, you know a little bit about that. Bill's in transition. He's moving, <laughs> moving from Rome, uh, moving to Rome, Italy, from London, England, of course. And uh, uh, he's actually stateside right now. And yeah, but he'll soon be back in operation. You had a cameo appearance on the recent one, didn't you, Jim? Yes, uh, I was invited to uh, join Bill for a short segment on Solder Smoke. Uh, I think it was Solder Smoke number sixty-two. Yeah. That was right after we came back from Dayton. It was very interesting. Good job. Tommy, you got any emails over there in Missouri? I do have an email here in Missouri. It's from our friend Roger, uh, K7RXV. says, I just started looking at your broadcast. I found out about the site from Solder Smoke. There you go, Solder Smoke. Uh, About nine months ago, I was having a lot of trouble with my cable internet service. They had Levels messed up, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm going to kind of summarize it because it's a pretty long email. Um, to keep the internet, he built a similar box to our Cantana, but he used a, a mo- used a module with Cat5 connection instead of USB. This allowed him to connect it to his router in place of the cable modem input. He mounted the antenna about 40 feet high on one of his radio towers. Um, and anyway, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm going to kind of summarize it. Uh, anyway, he was able to use that and, and get itself back on some internet service. Cool. Yeah, you can do power over Ethernet. Yeah. That's, that's getting pretty popular. I noticed he said that he, he did this long before he knew about my efforts, and he thought we might find it interesting, and I did. And, of course, uh, Cantona version 1.0 came long before AmateurLogic.tv did, too, so... <laughs> I don't remember exactly when it was. Well, you know, since we upgraded. Um, yeah, uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did uh, all upgrade. Uh, you know, a moment ago we were talking about the technician class license, and that's what all of us came in as. Yeah. Jim yes. up, upgraded. When did you upgrade, Jim? 2000 and... 2003, it was, uh, you still had to have five words per minute code to, to get your general. So 2003, you got your general. I believe that's correct. Tommy and I remained uh, terminal technicians for 15 years. And <laughs> we took advantage of the uh, new uh, uh, no-code uh, exams. and uh, Well, it's the same exam. We just didn't have to take a code test. And uh, I went a little bit before uh, it actually took effect uh, a month or so in advance. Once I knew the rules were going to go into effect, uh, the first session I came across, I went and took my general and extra exams and uh, passed those. And then I believe, uh, didn't y'all take y'all's at the Hamfest, Jim? Oh. Yes, which just happened to be the, about what, Tommy, about the second week after they dropped the code? Or third? Maybe uh, it was well. It was longer. actually right before yeah, it, was it actually before. went into effect because I yeah. drove down to the JARC Hamfest and I took my general and extra at the same time down there, and then uh, I came back up here on uh, February the twenty-sixth, I think, and filed my paperwork for my upgrade. Yeah, we still yeah. had that waiting period, just like you and I did, Jim, back in '93. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> brand new yeah, radio just, sitting there and could only listen. 
you guys uh, should really be proud. I had been studying for phew, uh, a year, even before, because it just so happened that I had been planning to upgrade to extra. And then you guys uh, jumped in there and not only passed your general, but passed your extra licenses all at the same time. Well, I actually did some studying for the general. You know, I put in a little time studying there, but you know, I've been a broadcast engineer for a lot of years. I had not studied for the extra, but uh, I took it anyway. They encouraged me to do it. It wasn't going to cost anything. So uh, I took it, and I think by studying for the general, it actually prepared me for the extra as well because I passed it. I missed an awful lot of them, but apparently not too many. Yeah, I think I did pretty well. I only missed a few, but I, I did study quite hard. I put a lot of pressure on myself, yeah. and I studied both I, of them for a long time. I think I put pressure on you when I accident you did it. it's all your fault <laughs> yeah. but I'm glad you did because <laughs> I've been enjoying my extra privileges no it's so, not uh, <laughs> so Peter if that wasn't your phone ringing <laughs> so so Peter what class license are you uh, I'm I'm an advanced class uh, Jimmy yeah I've, I've been in advanced class for about 10 years. Uh, about 10 years ago, I Same was combined thing. license, and uh, I, I set the 10 words per minute Morse test in order to upgrade. Very good. So you had to pass the 10 word per minute code test. Oh, yes. Uh, I didn't find it all that hard. It was just a matter of practice. But uh, I'm sort of glad it's gone now. <laughs> it, uh, it was keeping a lot of people out of the hobby. Yes. Well, we hope everyone's enjoyed episode 14, the Phil Day extravaganza. It sure was a lot of fun bringing it to you, wasn't it, Jim? Oh, boy. I mean, a ton of fun. It looked like you guys were having a great time. I guess I was a Phil Day slacker this time. I wasn't able to set anything up. But uh, you guys had my had me covered. I did have Cuso with George while he was set up. Yeah, though. so he, he did participate, <laughs> and we've got the proof right on the show here. So <laughs> Yeah, I saw that, yeah. And Peter, it sure was interesting to learn more about the foundation class license that y'all have down under. Sure, George. It was a lot of fun doing those interviews, and uh, I, I had a lot of help, and I, I really appreciate the, the help I was given by uh, Robert Broomhead, uh, Brian Pliatsios and Joe Chakravarti, both for doing the interviews yeah. and uh, for helping get it all set up. Thanks, guys. Yes, please pass along our, our thank yous. Well, that's it, everybody. We hope you'll join us back here next time for number 15. That's right. See you next time. See you next time. See you later.